What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And this is Untapped Upkeep Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, everybody. Today is going to be kind of a weird episode. Corey was unable to make it. He is a chef at a local restaurant here in Utah, and he's just really damn busy sometimes. Uh, But I've got Drew with me. What's going on, Drew? What are we doing today? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. We're going to be talking about the Commander 2013 decks. We've got five of them to go through, so we're going to break it up into two different episodes. We've got the first one here. It's going to be three of the decks, and then we've got the second one, which we're going to do the last two. Uh, Start us off. What are you drinking? Oh, man. Today, I'm drinking a Founders. It's, uh, they call it the Barrel Runner. It's got an interesting, like, colloquial bottle. Like, it looks aged. It's got a little captain in the back. It's a mosaic hopped ale aged in rum barrels. It's off their uh, barrel-aged series, so they have a whole series of these barrel-aged beers. Drew knows I'm a rum guy, so he went ahead and found this guy for me, and it's already smelling delicious. To be fair, both you and Cora are rum guys. Oh, yeah. So I got this beer knowing that it was going to be consumed and enjoyed. Oh, it's enjoyable. First sip, we've got, uh, I mean, you've got that barrel flavor. Definitely woody, oaky. Yeah, the smell on it is is sweet, but you can definitely smell the rum. Yeah, but it's got a good, I'm not a huge hoppy guy, but it does have some hops in there. So it's got that kind of crisp mouthfeel. Yeah, so it's very light on the bitterness, but it's got this nice peachy note to it. Kind of citrusy almost. It's very, very delightful. It's got a weird after aftertaste. You know what I mean? You swallow, you get that aftertaste, and then you swallow a couple more times and it turns really, really sweet and fresh, like on your tongue. Yeah, like legitimately like you just bit into a peach or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And it's not one of those beers that has that kind of stickiness to it. The sweet beers that have like a stickiness to it yeah. after you swallow. This one is very clean. Clean and crisp. Yep. On the other side of things, we've got a dark ass beer over there in Drew's hand. What's going on? All right, so this one, ooh, that's tasty. <laughs> We've got the Firestone Mocha Merlin. Just as the name suggests, it's chocolate and coffee, but this is an infused milk stout, so it's going to be a lot smoother, uh, almost a little creamy, but the coffee is the first thing you're going to smell off of it. It's just real It literally smelled and, like I was smelling a cup of cold coffee. Yeah, it smells like a cold brew. The chocolate is very light, but it's kind of a, on the back of the tongue. That's good, man. I like that. And it is very smooth. Very nice. This is almost probably going to be the first time I'm ever going to say this. Maybe the last time. But do you want to trade beers? I kind of (laughs) do. I really like the Milk Stout. All right. This is, okay. Coming from someone who, this, okay, Milk Stouts are my favorite beer, period. And I'm going to trade for the rum. The the rum aged. The rum is good. But uh, I've never had a Milk Stout. I'm liking it. I'm enjoying it. All right, just real quick before we trade beers, let's look at what, what we're looking at as far as IBUs and ABV. So the Mocha Merlin here from Firestone, it's got IBUs 23 and the ABVs at 5.5%. Yep, and with this barrel runner, it's the 2018 release, so specifically for that year. And we're looking at about 11.1% ABV. It's a little strong, but as it is an aged beer and it is aged Kind of makes rum, sense, Yeah. You're pulling some of that alcohol from whatever rum was left over. And the IBUs were at 55, so, so almost double the bitterness. Yeah, which is strange that I'm more keen on that than I am on the stout. Don't get me wrong. This stout is, <laughs> the stout is tight, but this barrel running. So aside from the beers, we got to get to the 2013 Commander Set Review. 
Yep. First pre-constructed deck, what we got? We've got the Aloro deck. This is the Eternal Bargain, as it was. Um, yeah, and as a note, uh, before we get into it, these all these five decks were built around the shards that were introduced in the Alara block. Right. So we've got Bant, Esper, Jund, Grixis, and Naya. All right, thanks for the reminder for that. Yeah. And also, each deck has two new commanders, uh, fresh from this set, and then they also have an additional commander that was from the Alara block. Uh, so they have the main commander, which is the one that the deck appears to have built more around, or at least has more synergies for, and has an ad- another one that has some interactions with the rest of the deck. Uh, but that main commander also has, for this special set, interactions in the command zone. And that might be like right. the ability to cast it from the command zone for cheaper, which we'll see in the Bant deck, or just as we'll see in this first deck, it actually has abilities while it's in the command zone. Now, another thing from this set is that each deck has an additional legend from either the Kamigawa or the Portal 3 Kingdoms sets. So that's kind of a special thing. It has this kind of Asian flair to it, if you will, that is a nice reprint for these decks. Deck number one. Deck one. We've got Eternal Bargain. At the helm, we've got a Laurel, Ageless Ascetic. He's three, white, blue, black. So that's the Esper colors here. Legendary creature, giant soldier, four, five. Stats, whatever. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain two life. It's pretty strong. Doesn't have to do anything. You gain life. Just incidental. Great. Whenever you gain life, you may pay one. If you do, draw a card and each opponent loses one life. That's great. That's pretty strong. That's just card Not only do you get to pay a life, but you're getting a life with which to use for that. Yeah, so you like the synergy is immediately already there, and it's one mana draw card. That's insane. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Aloro Ageless Ascetic is in the command zone, you gain two life. So regardless if he's Ooh. in the command zone or on the battlefield, you're gaining life. Now, his second ability, whenever you gain life, you may pay one to draw a card and lose a life. That only works if he's on the battlefield, but that doesn't necessarily matter. Like, you're going to get benefits off of him every single upkeep that you have, right? And so just if you think about it this way, is that you are going to start the game at 42 life when everyone else starts at 40. That's essentially what's going to happen. On your first upkeep, you're going to gain two life. You're already being put at advantage just from having him as your commander. But he's not the only commander in the deck. Yeah, so we've also got a couple different alternate commanders that you can kind of swap in and out depending on how you want to play. Uh, The first one we've got is Sidri, Galvanic Genius. She's white, blue, black. Just Esper colors? Esper, yep. Uh, She's a 2-2 legendary creature, human artificer. And for one blue mana... Target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost until end of turn. So something I saw on this card specifically was turning other people's zero-drop artifacts into creatures, and then they die, so they get sacrificed. I like sacrificed. that, yeah. Any of those mana crypts. Uh, and the other ability, so she's got a second, is white and a black. Target artifact creature gains death, touch, and lifelink until end of turn. So another life gain kind of... Uh, Synergy there. Yeah, so just off the bat, she's going to work with Alora, which is great. So she's not just going to be a useless creature in the deck. And it kind of puts a sub-theme of artifacts, which we're going right. to see. Yep. The last of the commanders that you could possibly use in this deck is Sharoon the Hegemon. She's three, white, blue, black. So again, three plus Esper. For a 5-5 five, five legendary artifact creature, Sphinx. She has flying, and when Sharoon the Hegemon enters the battlefield, you may return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Now there's a big deal. The problem with that, of course, is that she does cost a lot. Yeah, that is true. So you're probably going to get this trigger once, maybe twice, if you have some way to recur her or some way to cheat her out or whatever. But still a strong effect. All right, Gary. So what does this deck want to do? So main theme, we're trying to gain life and use that life gained to our advantage. So being able to spend it to take life, being able to spend it to draw cards, being able to spend it in some sort of way that ekes out an advantage over the game. And then sort of a sub thing with... 
two or three of our generals here is artifacts matter. So we want to have a lot of artifacts that really help that game plan go along. All right. So as always, we need to get down to the basics. How much does this cost to build on your own? Yeah. So it costs about $95 USD if you were going to buy the whole thing in singles now, um, not as a packaged product. So, you know, kind of in the mid range of the normal costs for these decks. Yeah. For me, I try and spend less than $100. And that's kind of yeah. like my, my benchmark is if I can spend less than $100 on a full commander deck, that's kind of you know, a good thing. And this meets that criteria, but it has a couple of things that are off. It has a converted mana cost curve at 3.85. So it's not bad, but a little high. It has 41 lands. So that's a lot. However, it is split pretty well between the colors of the cards in the deck, which is nice. But in order to get those lands out, we got to have that ramp. And we've only got three ramp cards in this deck. Yep. Not, not quite what we'd want. Although the card draws 10. So you could potentially be flying through and get to these lands a little quicker than normal. So card draw is pretty good. Yeah, and Aloro does allow you to draw cards as well, and that's not included here. But there's also two selection cards that I've added in the deck that's not specifically card draw. But I like to have about 8 to 10 in my deck, and this fits in right there. Meets the bill, yep. Removal's at about 7, and board wipes at about 3. So removal's a little bit high, but we seem to see that a lot in these pre-cons is that the removal is high but the board wipes is right on i want three to five and this has three that's great let's move on doing great yep so when we talk about theme when we talk about whether or not this is working as a cohesive deck we've got 16 life gain life matters cards for a laurel we've got 12 cards that utilize that life gain uh and then for our sort of alternate commanders sharum and sidri we have 17 not including them of course Right. This is if yep. you were to use them as your commander. Yeah, that's like 10 non, non-creature non artifacts and 7 artifact-related. And artifact creatures as yeah. well. Yeah. So, overall, that's not too bad. I mean, considering that it is split amongst those three commanders. I was going to say, this is a theme through all the commander decks that they kind of split it up, which is not necessarily the most tuned, but it does give you options. So, we're going to see that with everything in pretty much every year. Right. And, I mean, if we're looking at Aloro specific, there's 28 cards. We want about 30 to 35 and this is almost there. So for a pre-con, this is doing well. I, I really like where this deck is going. All right, let's do some notable cards here. First up, we've got Kong Ming Sleeping Dragon. And I almost said the Sleeping Dragon, but it's actually Sleeping Dragon in quotation marks. It's a title, so they put it in quotes. So that's two white-white for a 2-2 two, two legendary creature, human advisor. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So the reason why this one's notable is because it is a reprint from Port of Three Kingdoms, which, again, we've talked about in the past. It's a set that was, you know, not printed as much as what we would like to in English. So having a reprint of that is kind of nice. Also, it's just a commander potential that is an anthem on its own. And what I mean by anthem is that it gives plus one, plus one to your creatures. It boosts your creatures with an onboard effect. All creatures, not even not even within certain tribes or whatever. Yeah, it's just other creatures you control, which yep. is great. Another one we got here on the list is Divinity of Pride. Right. So this one I added because it was from a cycle of these split cost cards. And this one is very good in this deck. So Divinity of Pride costs five split ores off. So that's black, white that you can pay either or for right. five five mana. It's a 4-4 four, four creature spirit avatar. It has flying and lifelink. And Divinity of Pride gets plus four, plus four as long as you have 25 or more life. So commander this, card. This is a great card in commander because you're going to have 25 or more life. We don't have to start. work to get to 25 where you already start above it. And in this deck, Aloro is going to help you get there and has flying and lifelink. So it itself is going to get there. So if you cast this while you're above 25 life, which commander is very likely, you're going to have an 8-8 flying lifelink creature. For five. 
that's going to be hard to beat in yep. this sort of thing, especially just you're going to continue to gain life and Alora is going to benefit from it. It's going to cycle very quickly where you're hitting somebody for eight. That's a 16-point life swing between you and them. That's massive, even in Commander. Yeah, and then you can use that eight that you gained to do further damage or draw cards. I mean, it's just, uh, I like this card a lot. It's honestly very good in this deck. I'm usually not high on life gain. When I was younger and like first starting to get into magic, I thought lifelink was the shit. I was just like, okay, they can't kill me if I just keep gaining life. Yeah. And I kind of like weaned myself off of that as time goes on. But Especially in a multi-format commander, it starts to be less good. Right, and incidental life gain is fine, but... When you're able to weaponize it like you are in this deck, yeah. that's when it really becomes something that you should look at. Another life gain card we've got here is uh, Filigree Angel. She's five, white, white, blue, so eight mana for a 4-4 four, four artifact creature angel. That's a lot, but it's a she lot. is helping out in the artifacts. She's yep. angel, so you know she's going to have some powerful effect. What does she got? So as all angels should, she can fly. She's got flying. It says, when Filigree Angel enters the battlefield, you gain three life for each artifact you control. So we've got the life gain matters. We've got the artifact matters. She fits in this deck as far as the pre-con is concerned. And the thing is, is that that ability is never going to be irrelevant because she's an artifact creature herself. Right. Right. So you are guaranteed at least three life off it. You're going to feel bad about only getting three life out of this deck. For eight but, mana. But you're getting a 4-4 four, four angel. It's an artifact. It's a creature. It's double weakness, which is, again, that's what I'm saying, is you're going to feel a little bit bad if that's the only thing you get out of is three life. But the potential for life gain on this right. is huge. And with a Laurel, you can pay mana, draw a card, your opponents lose life. Like, it's all upside there. And she's just going to get better the more artifacts you have. Yeah. All right, so the next one we've got on here, we've got Sphinx of the Steel Wind. So this card has keyword soup, and you'll understand what that means when I get to it. She's five, white, blue, black, for a six, six artifact creature Sphinx. She has flying, first strike, vigilance, lifelink, protection from red and green. So keyword soup is just that she's got a bunch of things thrown in there, everything but the kitchen sink. But the important thing is that she is an artifact creature, and she has lifelink. Everything else is just upside from there, and there's a lot of upside. Yeah, she's got some natural evasion, which I like. I think we're going to see that as a theme throughout the deck. And... What are the two colors that are really good at getting rid of artifacts? Ooh, red and green. It would be red and green. Yep. So she's got natural protection from them. So that kind of nullifies that weakness that she normally has. Next up, we've got Sarah Avatar. She's four white, 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 seven mana for a creature avatar with star, star for her power and toughness. So what that means is Sarah Avatar's power and toughness are each equal to your life total. When Sarah Avatar is put into a graveyard from anywhere, shuffle it into its owner's library. So talk about weaponizing life gain here. Yeah. Even if you start at 40 and she comes in as a 40-40, that's a one-shot hit. Yeah, you better be ready when she comes out. And She doesn't have flying, which I would have loved. But she does have this natural protection where if she's put into a graveyard, you can shuffle her back in. Next, we've got Mirror Battlesphere. So this is something that I'm personally very familiar with because Corey used to have a deck based around the Mirror. See, I was playing with Mirrors before I was playing Commander. One of the very first pre-constructed just standard decks that I bought was actually an artifact deck from the Mirrodin block. And the Mirrodin block? The Mirrodin block, yep. And my friends, me and the four or five janky players that I played with, uh, this deck was incredible. It was like, oh my god, everything in this deck works together. It's built-in synergy. Yeah. And that's exactly what Mirror Battlesphere is all about. So it costs seven colorless for a four-seven artifact creature Mirror Construct. 
When mirror battlesphere enters the battlefield, create four 1-1 colorless mirror artifact creature tokens. That's just good, right? You're getting nine power for seven mana. Pretty decent. Spread across five creatures. Again, pretty decent. Whenever mirror battlesphere attacks, you may tap X untap mirror you control. If you do, mirror battlesphere gets plus X plus O until end of turn and deals X damage to the player or planeswalker it's attacking. So when it attacks, you can pump it by four because of the mirror that it's created. Yep. And... It also just deals four damage to someone. So the next one we have is Sharding Sphinx. So it's four and blue, blue for a four, four artifact creature Sphinx. She's got flying. Whenever an artifact creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may create a one, one blue Thopter artifact creature token with flying. So this card is very good in this deck if you're able to attack with your artifacts. And theoretically, this could act as a token doubler for this deck. Every single time one of your tokens hit, yep. you're getting another token. So it kind of synergizes with itself very well. Those Thopters have evasion, so they're just going to keep on hitting, keep on generating tokens. To add to those Thopters, we've got Thopter Foundry. So weird, the mana cost on this one. So it's a split Orzhov, so white or black, and also blue. For an artifact, it has pay one generic, sacrifice a non-token artifact to create a 1-1 blue Thopter artifact creature token with flying. You gain one life. So it's got your life gain. Artifacts matter. It cares about generating more of these tokens. Up next, another notable card here. Potentially a card that could be used in a whole lot of decks. Crawl Space. So it's three colorless for an artifact, and it just says no more than two creatures can attack you each combat. That's that's a good card. It's very you're good. Playing against Cranko, you're playing against all these token crazy Any token decks. decks. Yeah, that's absolutely just hey, don't attack me. Or, Can't attack me. Good luck. All right, the next card we have is kind of funky. It's Order of Succession. Costs three and a blue for sorcery. Choose left or right, starting with you and proceeding in the chosen direction. Each player chooses a creature controlled by the next player in that direction. Each player gains control of the creature he or she chose. So the important thing on this one is that all of this happens at the same time. So if you can choose a creature and that creature isn't going to be chosen by the person to your right or left, whichever direction you don't choose, based on the fact that they all change. So it's kind of a weird card, but it's very good if you don't have a creature, because then you just get to steal a creature and other people also get to benefit from this. But the person who would steal from you doesn't get that benefit. This card is very political minded and it's kind of an interesting card. It's the same cost of what a mind control would be, which is to gain control of another player's uh, creature, but it only happens once and it's a sorcery, so you just get that creature. All right, up next, we've got Tidal Force. It's five blue, blue, blue for a seven, seven creature elemental. Love the elementals. At the beginning of each upkeep, you may tap or untap target permanent. So this is very strong. This card very. is very good because it's each upkeep. Not so your upkeep, yep. If you're in a four-player game, that's four untaps that you get. There's a lot of combos that you can use around this card. It's very strong, but the mana cost is kind of prohibitive in that it's three blue mana sources that you need for it. Yeah. So it's very cool. It's a good card, but again, it's basically only going to be in mono blue decks or a blue blue base deck. The next one we've got is an enchantment. We've got Greed. It's three and a black for an enchantment. you got to pay a black and pay two life to draw a card. This is Sick. what we're talking about weaponizing that life gain. Yeah. You're able to use the life that you gain in order to benefit somehow. In this case, you're drawing a card. With the Loro, you're going to draw a card. This, you got to pay the life that you gain from Loro to draw more. So this is going to be a draw engine for the deck. Yep. Up next, we got Well of Lost Dreams. It's four colorless for an artifact. Whenever you gain life, you may pay X, where X is less than or equal to the amount of life you gained if you do draw X cards. With the Loro, you gain two, time. pay X. Yep. Beth, X equals two, draw two. With the Loro, that means that if you pay three, you draw three. So worth it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in a deck like this where you're just kind of have that incidental life gain, you're not purposely doing it. It just says, hey, I want to get this out. Regardless, 
if Alora was on the field or not, you're going to be able to gain life. You're going to be able to pay the mana cost and get the draw. All right. The next one we have is Active Authority. Costs one and two whites for an enchantment. When Active Authority enters the battlefield, you may exile target artifact or enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile target artifact or enchantment. If you do, its controller gains control of Active Authority. So the important part that I see on this is that it's not an exile effect until Active Authority leaves the battlefield. It's just exile, which means that you can blink this, you can flicker it, whatever, to get this effect more than once. But also, if you kind of make a agreement with somebody, you can chain this back and forth. All right, next we have what are going to be like our four, actually five, staples of this set. And that is we've got Swiftfoot Boots, Sol Ring, Command Tower, Opal Palace, and the panorama of the deck. So we've seen that... In the past, in 2011 decks, we had, for sure, Soul Ring, Swiftfoot Boots, Command Tower. It was These Lightning are... Greaves in 2011, though. The Ooh, better that part. is true. That so they downgraded us here, which is something to know. But they are giving staples knowing that you want some of these cards in every Commander deck because they're always good. Right. Command Tower Now again. we've added Opal Palace. Right. Command Tower is going to be good in every deck. Opal Palace, if you'll read the, the text on that one. So Opal Palace is a land. It says, tap this land, add one colorless mana. So just a colorless land. But then it also says, tap one colorless and tap this land. Add one mana of any color in your commander's identity. If you spend this mana to cast your commander, it enters the battlefield with a number of additional plus one, plus one counters on it, equal to the number of times it's been cast from the command zone this game. Right, so that's pretty big in Commander, especially if your Commander cares about plus one, plus one counters. Yeah. So just as an example, I have this in my Marchesa deck, and so if I have Opal Palace out and I'm able to put it on Marchesa, that means Marchesa's probably never going to die for the rest of the game unless she's exiled. Because she's always going to have the plus one, plus one counter, which means when she dies, she comes back, put a plus one, plus one counter again probably after that point. So this is just a very strong card in Commander, and it gets better the more times people focus down your Commander. Another one of the themed cards that we're going to see throughout all these decks are the panoramas. However, each one of them are based on different color schemes. So the one we've got in this deck is the Esper panorama, another land. Right. So it's going to help you get either an island, a swamp, or planes. And on its own, it taps for colorless, which means it comes in, you don't just have a useless land like you would for Terramorphic Expanse or for Evolving Wilds. However, yeah, you, you don't do have, have to crack it immediately if you don't want to. Right. But you do have to spend a mana in order to get that fetch effect, which is okay it's not what you'd rather have, but it does offer you the flexibility of getting whatever color you need for this deck. Yep. All right. The last land that we're going to talk about here is Spring Jack Bastard. The reason is because I find it hilarious. It's <laughs> it's the goat land, right? It's the greatest of all time. So you can tap a chat of colorless to your mana pool, or you can tap four and it to create a 01 white goat creature token. Then you can tap and sacrifice X goats at X mana of any one color to your mana pool and gain X life. So if it's with the Laurel in that it wants to gain life. It adds mana of any color, potentially. And it's just an amusing card. It is amusing. The only thing I don't like about it is that you have to pay four mana just to get a goat, and then you get to sacrifice one goat and only get one mana from it. So you are at a net loss, but it is <laughs> hilarious, and it does synergize with the deck. So it's it's a fun card to have in there. It's fun. That's exactly yeah. where I'd go with it. Up next, we've got another one of those series that we're going to see throughout all of the decks. They've got the Tempt mechanic. Right, so Tempt with Immortality is the one in this deck. It costs four and a black, and it has Tempting Offer. So Tempting Offer is that you have an effect, and you tempt the people around you, and if they fall for the tempt, 
or if they agree with the Tim, then they also get the effect. So this one is, return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Each opponent may return a creature card from his or her graveyard to the battlefield. For each player who does, return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So if you get three opponents to agree to the tempt, you get four creatures from the graveyard. And they only each get one. So it's one of those that allows you to get an effect and also remain at parity with the table as a whole, which is a very good thing in Commander. I mean, you're always going to have one ab- one up on your opponents. Whether they tempt or not, you're going to have one more than whatever comes out on the, onto the battlefield. So yeah, you always get a plus one. Yeah, you're right there. But hopefully you can capitalize on those with the tempt cards and you benefit from your creatures coming out more than they do from theirs. Yeah, most likely. The thing that I will say on this is that when it comes to the tempt mechanic, don't fall for it. It's better for them to get a overcosted effect than it is for you to help them get a massively beneficial effect. Because as soon as one person does it, then those other people that don't fall, like have that problem where they're going to be at disadvantage from both of you. So they may as well do it and get at parity amongst three people and just have one person that they know that they need to team up and deal with than it is for one person just to be somewhat in the lead. All right, the next one we have (laughs) is Sanguine Bond. Huge. Love this card. This card is great. This is how you weaponize life gain. Sanguine Bond is three black black for an enchantment. And it says whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. So this card is a combo card and... If you have an effect that is whenever someone deals or is dealt damage, Lose that is life. whenever someone loses life, you gain life, you can just instantly win by making people die. Insta-kill, not insta-win. But yeah, I have that combo in my Markov deck, and it's just so badass. All right, the next one we've got is Nero's Disc. Another card I'm a big fan of. So this is your premier board wipe. It costs four mana for an artifact. comes in tapped, unfortunately, but it has one in tap, destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. I used this just the other day in the Muldrotha deck, and I'll be honest, the comes into the battlefield tapped was really unnerving because the second she hit, everyone at the table went, Jesus Christ, we got to kill it. Jesus Christ, we got to kill it. So every single time an opponent untapped, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to lose it. Luckily, I untapped with it and cleared the board. But it is a bit slow, but for colorless, it's huge. You can fit this in any slot in any deck, and it's always going to be beneficial. Yeah, it's going to destroy everything that's generally problematic. The only thing it doesn't hit really is planeswalkers and lands, but generally people don't blow up lands and planeswalkers are just kind of hard to interact with, period. Yeah. Next up, we've got Toxic Deluge. It's two and a black for a sorcery, and it says, as an additional cost to cast Toxic Deluge, pay X life. All creatures get negative X, negative X until end of turn. So this is one of the best board wipes ever printed. In a black deck, it's pretty good. It's very In good. this deck, it's, it's fucking good. Yeah. So this gets around your indestructible, yep. your shroud, your hexproof, whatever. This card is just insane. It's such a good card. Yeah. Talk about weaponizing your life gain. All right. So this is just one of my personal favorite cards in Commander. I love playing enchantments. It's just one of my one of my niches. So we've got Dark Steel Mutation. It's one and a white for enchantment or enchant creature. Enchanted creature is an insect artifact creature with base power and toughness 01 and has indestructible and loses all other abilities card types and creature types so this is the remove this commander yeah this is the neuter your commander card uh that got around that still gets around the chaos warp tuck rule right so this is disabling all abilities creature types whatever it removes synergies and makes it indestructible which means that it's going to be hard for them to remove it as well so if we were going to summarize this deck, 
how do you how do you think they did? What they do well? What they do poorly? Where do we sit on that? So what they did well is that there was lots of life gain and yeah. some good ways to capitalize on it. Obviously, Alora himself is going to get you just straight up value on his own. You're going to be able to draw. You're punishing your opponents, right? You're getting that that ping every single time you you draw off of him. That's just going to be good on his own. But there's also other ways to benefit off of that life gain. We've got Sanguine Bonds, which, again, is a win con on its own, potentially. We've got a lot of the Artifact Matters synergies in there, so that's pretty good. Um, but I think the, the best thing they've done in this deck is that of our EDH like necessities, the things that you need in these decks, is that they have a really good amount of card draw, card selection. Uh, ideally, it would be cheaper than four mana, but at the same time, like we can't be that picky in these pre-cons, so we're going to take what we can, and that is that there's about 10, 11, including Aloro. Yeah, I mean, really, when we go through our guidelines of EDH building, this fits really close on everything except ramp. Right, and that's... Really. Yeah, and our category we're looking at here of just, like, what is it lacking, what is it doing poorly, is that there's just not enough. There's only three ramp spells in there, and a lot of the big payoffs are at five mana or above. Yep. So we really need to be able to hit that mana cost as fast as possible and benefit from that life gain as soon as we can. Yeah, it may be assumed that as you're drawing so many cards that that can get you to your lands, but I still think ramp's a pretty important piece of the puzzle, even with the card draw. Yeah, it's it's just too low for me. Um, another thing is that I'd like more ways to properly utilize or just weaponize the sheer amount of life gain that there is. Like, there is a lot of ways to gain life, but there's only a few ways to actually weaponize it, and I'd like to increase that to make it so that we can pay life to do things or just have a life cost associated with it. One more problem that I have with the deck is that there's just too many lands for this deck. There's a lot. Yep. 41 lands. Usually I like to go between about 35, 38, up to 40. But even in my land-heavy decks, I don't generally have more than 40 cards. And you've got 41 in there, and a lot of them are tap lands or they're tax lands like Transguild Promenade. And those effects just aren't going to be good anywhere besides the very, very early game where no one's really got a developed board. Yeah, when you didn't need, when you weren't able to use it anyway. Um, so, I th I think there's a little bit more good than there is bad, but there's always improvements that we could make. So, what's our additions? What's our cuts? What are we going to do to improve this? First deck and foremost, well? add signets, add whatever you can to ramp. You yep. need to be able to get to five mana. You need to be able to get to seven mana. I think a laurel costs six. You need to get there. You have to be able to take these strong effects that you have and actually be able to play them. Yeah, and, and be able to create some redundancy on his effect, be able to capitalize on that. Because as we said, there was no tuck rule back here. So if you take six, seven, eight turns to get your commander out and it's chaos warped turn one of being out, you've got to still be able to keep your deck online. Right. And that's something that this deck is kind of lacking. Yeah. The thing that we're probably going to say on every single one of these decks is that they do have the curses in here. This is where the curses were brought in was this 2013 set. Take them out. They're not going to help you. Like, legitimately, they're just not that good. They're filler cards to be thematically correct between the five decks. They just don't work. Now, all that being said, our our main metric that we like to use in our casual gameplay is, is this deck fun to play? Do you enjoy playing it? Right. So I've never actually played this deck personally, but one of the guys in our play group has this deck, and he's modified it a bit, but I played it when it was at its original form, when it was just Aloro at the helm, and he seemed to really actually enjoy this deck. Uh, just the fact that he didn't really have to do that much to gain value off of it, something that he really enjoyed. It was kind of more of a, a slow-paced sit-back and then 
swing, just like get massive value all at once. And that's something that seemed to really fit his play style. After he kind of buffed it up and was able to weaponize the life gain more, he significantly more enjoys the deck, but he definitely seemed to like the deck just out of the box. So that's the first deck we've got. Next, we'll be moving on to Nature of the Beast. But before that, let's talk about our beers. First of all, we traded. So I started with the Barrel Runner by Founders. It's the Mosaic Hopped Ale aged in rum barrels. And it was really good, but I traded it off to Drew, so he actually finished that beer, and I ended up finishing. He was on the Firestone Mocha Merlin. It is a chocolate and coffee-infused milk. I think that they should swap those around. It should be a coffee and chocolate, because that coffee is super I definitely agree. Coffee is the first thing you smell. It's the first thing you taste, but I think probably because it's a milk stout. I'm not super familiar. Maybe Drew can comment, but maybe because it's a milk stout, it's it's really smooth. Yeah, that's it's really sweet for what I thought of coffee and chocolate in a stout beer. I thought bitter, bitter, bitter. It was really good. Yeah, as far as stouts are concerned, milk stouts are generally going to be very sweet. I was going to say syrupy, but that's not quite right the texture-wise. But the it's creamy. very smooth. Creamy is, yeah, creamy is about yeah. the right word for it. Uh, but they're very good. And it is, like I've said before, it's my favorite beer type. But... Honestly, this... I'm going to have to jump on that bandwagon with you because I enjoyed this to the fullest. Yeah, but that Barrel Runner, I don't know what it was, but like maybe it was just the fact that I just love peaches or just it's not what I expected out of it. And going between the two, trying that coffee stout and then immediately deciding that I needed to finish that rum bar- that, yeah. that Barrel Runner because it's just such a good beer. It's a unique beer, something I've never had before. It has this weird rum mouth feel where you don't, Really, I mean, it feel texture wise. It doesn't feel like you're drinking a beer other than the carbonation. It feels really like barely rummy, but it's got that fruity beer flavor and the hops are nowhere near overwhelming. Right. And as far as like the rum's concerned, it's not like alcohol heavy. Like, right. You can definitely taste that it. it's going to be a bit higher. I mean, it's 11%. So it's nothing to mess around with, but it's distinct in that it has such good fruity notes and that it is a mosaic hop ale, which it's not something that normally I'm keen to look for, but the fact that it has had time to mellow out in those rum barrels has made a distinct and wonderful beer that is just honestly like one of the best beers I've had Extremely in a long good. time. Yeah. Anytime I see hops or hopped or hopped up on a beer, I'm like, oh, I'll stay away. But definitely, and, and it's good to note, this is the 2018 release, so we can't comment on any other years. But this year specifically, the Founders Barrel Runner, that's a go-getter. Yeah. And as far as Firestone's concerned, Firestone is a brewery that I know fairly well. Like, Firestone Walker's just, they're a brewing company that is fairly well known. Uh, Your brother actually keyed me in on this brewery. But honestly, like, even though I traded away the chocolate and coffee milk stout here, you should try it. Like, if you like coffee and you like beer, this is your beer because it is so strong on that coffee. The smell is 100% coffee. But not on the bitter notes of that coffee, like the other tastes of that coffee. Right. And then that chocolate just kind of comes in and it's kind of in the back of the mouth. It's just a very light chocolatey undertone that just kind of smooths out the rest of it. And it's just such like, as Grant said, like a creamy, smooth, just very even beer that has like very, very light hints of bitterness to it. That's just overwhelmingly great. Like I just- So good. Yeah. As good as these beers are, we got to quit sipping and start talking about deck number two. Yeah, we've got Nature of the Beast here. We've got Marath, Will of the Wild. For red, green, white, he's a 0-0, legendary creature, elemental beast. 
but he has the abilities Marath Will of the Wild enters the battlefield with a number of plus one plus one counters on equal to the amount of mana spent to cast it. He has pay X, remove X plus one plus one counters from Marath, and choose one. You can either put X plus one plus one counters on target creature, X can't be zero. Marath deals X damage to target creature or player, X can't be zero. Create a XX green elemental creature token, X can't be zero. So this thing scales really well in Commander because eventually you're going to have to cast it for more than just the three mana. Um, but you do still have to pay that mana to cast it. Right. And with this, like the first thing that I think of is kind of the Prosh deck that we're going to talk about here shortly is that each of these commanders or each of these decks is going to have a commander that interacts well with the command zone. And this is this version of it where we have Marath, who you kind of want to spend multiple times. You want to be able to remove these counters and do something with it. And when you remove the counters, you're going to get him to die. Like when you remove all his counters, he dies. That's just how that's going to work. And if you have some way to use those counters efficiently, whether you're doubling them or whether you're sacrificing the tokens that he generates or whatever, you're going to be able to get more value than what he's worth on his own. Another one of the possible commanders is Gahiji Honored One. He's in 1700 decks, so a little slightly more popular. Um, Gahiji Honored One is two red, green, and white for a 4-4 legendary creature beast. Whenever a creature attacks one of your opponents or a planeswalker an opponent controls, that creature gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. That includes your opponent's creatures. That's your creatures. That just encourages combat all around. It's actually a pretty decent commander. Yeah. He's a little bit chaotic. I kind of like that. The last one we have is my personal favorite of this deck. is Mael the Anima. She costs red, green, white. So just Naya. For a 2-3 legendary creature elf shaman. She has a special ability. She has an activated ability. Three red, green, white, and tap. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a creature card with power five or greater from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Not terrible. No, pretty decent. Six mana just to cheat out anything. You're also kind of looking through and filtering the top cards of your library. Like She's pretty decently powerful. She has about 1,500, 1,600 decks on EDH Rec. So again, more popular than what the commander that they are helming the deck with. So those are the three uh, sort of alternate commanders Obviously, Marath is sort of what this deck is built around primarily. Uh, so we'll go off that as being our main commander. With, so, with that in mind, we have to look at what this deck wants to do. All these decks have a specific goal in mind. And this deck, obviously with Marath, we need to be able to get lots of counters on them so we can manipulate and do what we want with that. So we need to ramp. Uh, we need to be able to use that mana. Otherwise, if we're not just casting Marath, so we need to be able to cast a bunch of creatures, this deck has a lot of fatties that it wants to cast, get these big monstrous dudes out. And then, obviously, we got to attack. So, uh, the cost to build this deck on your own is 69 bucks. Nice. Uh, when we look, yeah, nice. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I had to. <laughs> uh, which is actually kind of on the lower end of most of the decks that we've done. Uh, CMC runs about 4.19, so it's running kind of high on its mana cost. Which, again, if we're casting a bunch of big fatties, it's going to be kind of high. Yeah. Here's where we run into some weird. Uh, statistics. 42 lands, which seems pretty good, and then there's only six ramp cards. 42 lands kind of high. Well, it's high, but I mean, because you need to cast all those fatties, it seems like it's okay until you realize, I'd just rather have ramp cards. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? And ramp cards, we've got six in this deck, um, and there's some additional cards that fetch lands to hand, but actual ramp cards, there's only six. Uh, we only have two dedicated card draw cards. Uh, we've got some cycling or land cycling cards, which again, not what we're looking for. We just want that raw card draw. Yeah. Our removal, we got 12 plus and a couple extras in there. 
Um, includes lands that causes beasts to fight opponents' creatures because this deck does have some beasts in it. It's got some beast tribal synergy. Uh, we've got about four board wipes, which is right on the money. That's where we want it to be. Uh, and it has some flexible removal that can be turned into board wipes, which is nice. As for Marath relevant cards, obviously creatures are important because Marath can put plus and plus on counters on it. Uh, he can generate creatures himself. Uh, there's 22 creatures in the deck, which is kind of surprisingly low for a deck like this. You'd expect a deck that wants to have these tribal synergies and that wants to just ramp hard and cast creatures to have a decent creature base. You would, Yeah, you would think that the removal would be lower and the creatures would be, you know, probably 28, maybe 30? Yeah, I definitely would want to see it closer to 30, 35, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, so there's, there's about 22, which is a little low, but there's three of those sort of plus one, plus one counters matters cards, so that helps them to be, you know, a little flexible with his ability. And there's six token matters cards. Right, so overall, you know, there's about 28 or so cards that kind of synergize with Marath, which is about where we want him to be. Uh, we would like to see more, obviously, and we'd really like to see more creatures specifically, yeah. just because Marath cares more about that, and that's really where your uh, synergies are going to come from from this deck. So then we have the Gahiji cards, and Gahiji cares about one thing. He cares about creatures attacking, right? So there's 22 creatures, like you said earlier, uh, and then there's some cards that care about combat, and there's about three of those. So overall, about 25 cards in Gahiji's realm. And then, of course, we have Mayo. Yeah, so she's looking for creatures that have a power of five or greater so that you can toss those out for free. There's only 12 uh, and then high power matter cards. There's five. Um, so not enough to make her the head. Yeah, definitely not. Which is understandable. We kind of assume that most of the time. Then there's, again, these sub-themes that I talked about. There's a really awkward landfall sub-theme in here. There's a fair number of them. And then there also is that beast tribal that I talked about that seems to want to work, but really just falls short. Yeah. All right. So let's look at the notable cards of this. First thing we have to say is that there's no bonus legend in this deck. It's just the three that we have. It's yeah. kind of odd that of all the decks, this one just doesn't have that extra goodie. Yeah, usually there's like a, an off-color, or not off-color, but two-color legendary that kind of fits in. And I don't know, it's like a little present you get in there. This one, no. So notable that there's not that notable card. Uh, right. The next one we have is Hole Breach. So Hole Breach is a red and a green for a sorcery. It says choose one. Destroy target artifact or destroy target enchantment or destroy target enchantment and target artifact. I love this card. This card is so flexible. It's always what you need when you need it. I have never not cast this card and been happy with it. Yeah, cards like this, especially with a low mana cost, are just always good in your colors. Always. The next one we have is Fireball, which is X and a red, sorcery. Fireball deals X damage divided evenly, rounded down among any number of target creatures and or players. Fireball casts one more to cast for each target beyond the first. So this is just good removal. It's a board wipe, potentially. Yeah. Uh, it's just a way to finish off players if you've got the mana for it. And if you're ramping super hard, which this deck it wants to do, even if it doesn't have the ramp to, to back it up, it's a good way to just end games. Yeah, you've got a decent amount of lands. If you could pump up the ramp a little bit, this can be really, really powerful. But what I like more is that you can divide it evenly. I mean, you have to round it down, but among any number of creatures. So yeah. you really need to just kill one guy who's crazy you got the power if there's a bunch of tokens pissing you off you can do that too yeah you definitely need the ramp to back it up which yeah. again we're just always going to harp on for this deck because it's just so lacking all right next up we've got 
Spellbreaker Behemoth. He's one red, green, green for a 5-5 creature beast. This is one of those beast creatures. So this is solid. Four mana, 5-5? Five, five. Yeah, he's pretty solid. He's He's got a weird mana cost, but it's only four. And it says Spellbreaker Behemoth can't be countered. I like it. Love it. Creatures you control with power five or greater can't be countered. I certainly wish there was more of those in the deck. <laughs> what did we say? There was 12, 12 right? 12 total. Yeah, so it's kind of in uh, that high power matter synergy that Mael wants. And... It, it's a, it's a strong card on its own, especially if you're casting, like, Eldrazi and, like, these crazy, you know, quote-unquote overpowered creatures right. that just have that high power that we're talking about. I mean, it'd be great if you could really utilize that. Yeah, because it's the power five and greater that are most likely to get countered if they're going to. Yeah. Uh, but you just got to have a way to capitalize on that. So the next one in this set here, we've got Rake Claw Gargantuan. It's two red, green, white, so that Naya again, for a 5-3 beast. It's got activated ability, tap one. And target creature with power five or greater gains first strike until end of turn. So one mana, target creature gains first strike. You're probably going to use this to win combat a lot of the time or just kind of stop your opponents from blocking because they see this activated ability up. It works on itself, which is really nice. But again, we don't really have that many creatures to, to utilize this. Yeah. I, I like the ability, though. Wish we had an enchantment in there that could do something similar. Uh, next up, we've got Drum Hunter. He's three and a green for a 2-2 creature, Human Druid Warrior. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power five or greater, you may draw a card. Tap Drum Hunter, add one to your mana pool. So he's a mana dork, not a colored mana dork, but he is a mana dork. And you get to draw cards if you've got those big, big fatties out. I like this guy. He's, I like him I lot. think he's one of the best cards in the deck, regardless of if you have the, the power five. I think that having that just end of turn, you potentially can draw a card is just fantastic. Uh, the fact that it can help you ramp as well, and it does add colorless mana. Yeah. So that's really going to help you as well if you're casting Eldrazi and that sort of thing, which I think we could change this deck into an Eldrazi deck, and I think it'd be really fun. The next one we have on our list is a Spawning Grounds, which is six green green for an enchantment aura. Enchant Land. Enchanted Land has tap, create a 5-5 five, five green beast creature token with trample. So eight mana to later be able to, every turn, make a beast. So I do like this one because obviously it's going to fit in our theme. It does cost a shitload. Though. Yeah, it does cost a little bit more than what we really want in this deck because I'd rather have an efficient creature or ramp spell or something in there yeah. that really gets there. All right, the next one we got is Mystic Barrier. It's four and a white for an enchantment. It says, when Mystic Barrier enters the battlefield or at the beginning of your upkeep, choose left or right. Each player may attack only the opponent seated nearest him or her in the last chosen direction and Planeswalkers controlled by that player. So I like this card. Combat manipulation is a lot of fun. Um, it can be super strong, especially if you can choose a direction where the person who would attack you is not going to have a lot of creatures or is not going to be able to efficiently attack into you. It's just a really good way to control combat. Um, the fact that you're also able to change it during your upkeep is very strong. I, I like this card a lot. Yeah, as the game shifts, you can change your mind. The next one on our list we've got is War Cadence. So there's another Combat Matters card. It's a cost two and a red for enchantment. As an activated ability, X and red. This turn, creatures can't block unless their controller pays X for each blocking creature he or she controls. I like that a lot. So for three mana, it's kind of like a reverse propaganda. Yeah, but you get to choose when. So it's not, uh, well. Yeah, I mean, you control combat for other players' turns, which is really cool. Uh, so it's not always just you. And sometimes you just want to say, hey, I think this person needs to die. So I'm just going to dump all my mana into it. Yeah, I like that. Like It's a really good political card as well as just a good card on its own. The next one is kind of a card that I really like in this deck just because it's more what I feel like the deck really kind of wants to do. 
Uh, so it's Warstorm Surge. It costs five and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So play a 5-5. Five, five. Do five damage to someone's face, to someone's creature, planeswalker, whatever. Like this card, even if you're just using Marath and you're just generating a bunch of tokens, like you're going to get value off of this. You're just going to start pinging things down. It can end the game as long as you have things to back it up. Uh, yeah, I like this card because it's very quintessentially red, but it's also because it's an enchantment, it's not a one-time thing. You can really start to shift the game where you say, hey, I'm not getting enough value. This is helping me eke out some extra value. I like that. Yeah, and it just turns the fatties that you're casting out into just power on their own yeah. to, to like force things to happen. Along the same lines, we've got where Ancients Tread. It's a four and a red for enchantment. Whenever a creature with power five or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you may have where Ancients Tread deal five damage to target creature or player. And this has been errated to just any target at this point in time. So just five damage, again, wherever you want it, as long as the creature comes in. So it's very much like Warstorm Surge. But Warstorm Surge is less. just better. Or, oh, of course, yeah. You still have to, this is where we run into those problems where we don't really have enough of the power five or greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is still effective, but you've got more hurdles through which you must jump. All right, up next, we've got another enchantment. It's called Witch Hunt. I like this card. Yeah, this card this is, is funny. And the art's tight too uh it's four and a red for an enchantment it says players can't gain life so that alora deck yeah at the beginning of your upkeep witch hunter deals four damage to you at the beginning of your end step target opponent chosen at random excuse me gains control of witch hunt it's a chaos card yeah, I like this card, the chaos effect on it. It doesn't really quite fit with this deck necessarily. All it is is just, hey, the Allura deck that you're going to be playing with is not going to be able to be as effective as it would be. It kind of is a just, it's going to end the game whether you want it to or not. Yeah. So it's just like, sometimes it punishes you, sometimes it punishes other people. Regardless, it has a static effect that's going to be effective always. Up next, we've got Harmonize. Uh, this is just a solid green card draw. It's it's the best green card draw, basically, that goes in most decks. Yeah. It's just, it's two green green, draw three cards. Like, that's... Solid the, card yeah. draw. As far as green is time. concerned, that's what they want. Yep. Uh, and, of course, we've got some green staples. We've got Cultivate, so it's two and a green for a sorcery. It says, search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal those cards, put one onto the battlefield tapped, and put the other into your hand, then shuffle your library. Uh, one of the best ramp cards you can get in green, but the fact that this is... The only ramp card? Yeah, the it's like only the, like ramp staple that we've got in there? Well, I mean, we do have Soul Ring, of course, along with Command Tower and Swift Foot Boots. Those are kind of going to be in all the decks here. Yeah, but, but I, I just feel like because it's a green deck, you know, there should be Sky Strout Claim. There should be uh, Rampant Growth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you you should have room for Explosive all Vegetation yep. and all that, yeah. Instead, we kind of get an awkward one. We've got Cross and Warchief, which is two and a green for a two-two creature beast. Beast spells you cast cost one less to cast, and for one and green, regenerate target beast. So this is in that beast tribal deck kind of synergy. And while it's cool in that it is going to cheapen all your spells as long as they're beasts, it's just not exactly what this deck wants to do. There's just not enough beasts. Um, the next five cards we have are the cards that I think are just kind of the staples. They're the most interesting cards of this deck. They're just the cards that... If you have this deck, these are the cards you're probably going to pull out. That is, pull out to use in other decks. Okay, I was just going to say, no, we're not pulling these. But yeah, you're going to take them out and build something better, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, first one up, we got Wrath of God. Two white-white. Classic. Destroy all creatures that can't be regenerated. Yep. It's. I mean, there's a reason why we call these white destroy all creatures Wrath Effects. Yeah. It's Wrath of God. It's the first one. It's the best one. Well, maybe not strictly best one, but... There are better board wipes, but this does exactly what it's supposed to do. For and it four does mana? It the best way. Yeah. Like, can't be regenerated, which is kind of a clause that we don't 
need these days. But the next one we have is just going to be a staple in basically every green deck. It's Avenger of Zendikar. It's five green green for a 5-5 five, five creature elemental. When Avenger of Zendikar enters the battlefield, create an 0-1 green plant creature token for each land you control. So cast this on seven for seven mana. Sorry, with seven lands, and you get right. seven O ones. Then it has this nice landfall effect. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may put a plus one plus one counter on each plant creature token you control. It's part of that weird landfall cycle, but this is the best card of that cycle in this deck. Yeah. The next one we've got is Tempt with Discovery. Uh, it's three and a green for a sorcery, uh, and it gives you a tempting offer. And it says, search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. Each opponent may search his or her library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. For each opponent who searches a library this way, you also search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield. Then each player who searched shuffles their library. So basically you're hoping that all of your opponents give you extra value for what you're paying for. Yeah. If you're an opponent for someone who plays this, never fall for the tempt. It's a four mana, one ramp for that player. Let it be just that. Because as soon as you do it, someone else is going to do it. And then the third player in that party there is just going to look at it and say, well, everyone else is so far ahead of me. What's one extra land for that person? I might as well get mine. Right. And then you're turning a four mana, you know, one ramp spell into four mana, four lands to pull out. And they don't even come in tapped. That's usable immediately. You never want to give that player that. Yeah. That value. It's too much. This may be the best tempt for the one-sided effect that it has and that you just go so far ahead. I agree. I agree with Drew on this one. <clears throat> Moving right. on. We've got Dark Steel Mutation. <laughs> Again, it's a good card. One in white for enchantment or enchant creature. Enchant creature is an insect artifact creature with base power and toughness 01 and has indestructible and loses all other abilities, card types, and creature types. This is commander removal. It's premium. It's good. Like, they have to have the exact answer of just destroy target enchantment. Another one we've got is another land. It's Homeward Path, and it says uh, if you tap it, you add one generic mana to your mana pool, uh, or you can tap it, and each player gains control of all creatures he or she owns. So this is just a, a good card in a lot of like playgroups just because there are like theft effects and like ways to steal creatures, uh, chaos effects, especially in our playgroup. Uh, so this card, it's not exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> it's not exceptional on its own usually, but... Whenever they print this sort of card, it's because there are theft effects in the cycle. Right. And so it's another one of those cards that targets another deck and kind of stops what they want to do. So these are the cards that we find most notable about this deck. These are the cards that we want you to look at if you're going to get this deck or just to look at on their own. Uh, aside from that, we got to look at just what this deck did well overall. So first thing I have on the <laughs> list is that they reprinted Wrath of God. Yeah. yeah. It's a little cheeky, but it's true because we needed a set that would reprint Wrath of God. Yeah, it has the nice modern border. It looks really good. Uh, obviously, I'm not very high on this deck. I have this deck. I've played this deck. Uh, I've had it since 2015-ish is when I got it. And I think Corey said that he got the first win with the deck about three weeks ago. It took three years to get a win with that deck. So, and, and granted, it is the stock deck. As I was going to say, you said you didn't upgrade it, right? And it's been played against other pre-cons. But it just shows you how low of power level this deck has yeah and we discussed it before we started the episode the reason you didn't upgrade it is specifically because you felt it wasn't necessarily worth you'd basically have to buy two decks worth of cards to even make this competitive basically yeah the ability to like transition this into a deck that actually is going to do well you need either tutors or just like a massive amount of ramp like you're going to need like 12 ramp cards in this deck just to get those beasts out and then you need to figure out what this deck actually wants to do because like 
Because Marath just needs an ass load of mana and then ways to use it. And when it comes to Marath, like, alone, he can do that. But people are going to realize what the deck is doing, and it's going to be really easy to shut down. Whereas, like, Mael, if you just put a bunch of cards that are just high high power and really able to, to utilize her, then again, you need that ramp, that mana, in order to use her ability to get those creatures onto the battlefield. And I don't know. It's just, I don't feel that there's a commander in here. Like, Gahiji is probably the best commander for the deck just because he wants you to attack, and that's what the deck actually wants to do. Yeah. But again, it's just way too spread out, and you just have to basically revamp the entire deck in order to make it decent. Yeah, it's too far off the target to make it worth spending the money on. You, yeah. you, it's almost better to just see the synergies that it could have used and start buying singles for a brand new deck. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, not to say it's not a fun deck, but it's just not its not quite competitive. No. Which is a bummer. Yeah. So the other thing they did well aside from printing Wrath of God, is that uh, they do have flexible removal, right? Their ability to use some removal, and it's not just creatures, right? But even the creatures ones, you can push some of them into board wipes and that sort of effect. And it presents you with a clear way to win, right? With Fireball and with just, like, massive creatures that want to attack. Is that it is obvious that what the deck wants to do to win, it's just really difficult to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, So what is it doing poorly? Wow, we have a list. We've got quite a list here. So there's really no clear focus what the deck wants to do. We keep on harping on this, but it's just it's spread out way too much between the different themes. Uh, there's only 22 creatures in a creature-oriented deck. That's a bad sign. Yeah, right? I was going to say all of the decks sort of do this because they want it to be marketable, but this one was, I think, the worst of them. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, they not only spread it out between the three quote-unquote commanders, but they, yeah, like you said, all three of them are based on creatures, and there were not enough creatures for any of them. Yeah. Um, there's only six actual ramp spells in a really heavy... CMC heavy deck, like 4.19, I think is what we were at. And it's just like six ramp for a four mana. Anytime you're in green, you should have more than six, first of all. Second of all, you're doing beasts or demons or dragons or any of these gigantic cards. You have to have ramp. The CMC is going to be clear. What? (laughs) Like you said demons. Well, I just mean any any deck that's running large cards where you know it's going to drag your CMC up, you have to have the ramp because you can't just do it with Lance. You can't. Yeah, the other is that the very limited card draw, yeah. right? There's two like dedicated card draw, and it's just not not what this deck wants. Like this deck, if you're going to be spending the mana to cast giant creatures, you need to be able to get to them. And to get yeah. there, you need to have cheaper card draw that just allows you to just pull in quick, grab that stuff, start ramping, get get out there. Yeah, unfortunately for large CMC decks like this, they're slow inevitably, and so you got to have the card draw to get you through. Uh, also, we got that landfall package. It's not. It doesn't synergize really with anything, um, and there's not enough of it for it to really even be a synergy. It's just they're basically wasted cards. Yeah, like the only sense. one that's good is Avengers and a card, and that's just because that's just going to be a high value card. Like it does have Druidic Satchel, but that card again, like I feel like it needs support to actually do work. Um, it's one of those cards that among this among others, it's just there's this do nothing get value style cards. Right, which is just like cast creatures, they'll do damage because of uh, Warstorm Surge or whatever. And it's like there's just not that much support for these cards to help them end games. Um, you said you have this deck, so I'll give this question to you. How fun is it? Is it fun? Is it lame? When I initially got it, again, I was, I was newer to Magic. Uh, I guess I've been playing for, for a couple of years. And the idea of Commander was kind of a novel idea at the time for me. And so it was one of the decks that I got. So I was like, okay. So it was one of your first Commander decks. Yeah. 
And I thought the idea of just like, oh, if I have big creatures, you know, big creatures win combat. You know, if I'm playing against a bunch of other people, there's ways to to figure that out. And like big creatures should just win on their own. And I completely misunderestimated what this deck actually wanted to do and how it wanted to win. And so it was just kind of a letdown after a period of time. And like at first it was tight. And then it just was outclassed by every single pre-con ever. Like initially fun, but as you play the deck more, it just... Like, the best sequence that you can have is to play Warstrom Surge and then play, like, two or three fatties, make shit happen. And that's just, again, it's just a rarecade occurrence. Yeah. Now, we've already talked about what we could do to improve it a little bit, but let's just go through the outline here. Right. So we've got, we need more ramp. We need better ramp. We yep. need more card drop. We need better card draw. We need more and better creatures. Like, these are all things that we'll always say about a deck like this that wants to have heavy creature focus. You've got to have card draw to get there. You've got to have ramp to cast those creatures and you got to have the actual creatures. Yeah. Right? And I think with this deck, there are some pretty clear cards that are easy to cut. You don't even have to worry about, Oh, this one's a special. No, there's a, a whole slew of cards that you can immediately go. That needs to be traded for ramp. That needs to be traded for a better creature. That needs to be traded for card draw. And just those few changes are going to up the power level a little bit. For sure. Uh, the last thing we're going to say about all these decks is just <laughs> take out the curses. There's no need. They're garbage. That kind of concludes uh, deck number two. We went through that pretty quick because we weren't super impressed with it, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, we spent a long time on the actual notable cards, but even then, it was still lacking. Yeah. We've got our third deck here, Power Hungry, featuring Prosh, Sky Raider of Care. He's got about 2,000 decks around him, so you know he's fairly popular. Also, he's just a really good commander, and personally, I love Prosh. I think he's a really good card. All right, speaking of Prosh, He's a three, black, red, green. So this is the Jun deck. Uh, he's a five, five dragon. He's got flying. When you cast Prosh, create X01 red kobold creature tokens named kobolds of care keep, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast Prosh. Sacrifice another creature. Prosh gets plus one, plus O until end of turn. Prosh is a badass. Like he's just going to be a good, good card. Uh, like for one, he's a sack outlet on himself. He creates tokens. Then he has a way to get rid of them. Just... Insta value, I'm in. I don't need any more than that. I, I just, I'll dive right in. As you say, it doesn't even matter what the effect is. Just the fact that he creates tokens and allows you to then sacrifice them, that's powerful. Yeah. So he's good on his own. He's great with other like effects that like creatures to die or come into the battlefield. Uh, he's really good coming in and out of the command zone. Yeah. Right? Like he produces this, this effect. Um, Another one of the legendary creatures we've got here are, or I guess... We've yeah, got the R. Shatter... Yeah. It is R. I almost said is, but it's R because they're brothers. It's Shatter King Brothers. It's one black, red, green for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature goblin artificer. And it has three activated abilities. So you can tap two in a black and sacrifice a creature. Each other player sacrifices a creature. It's a very black thing to do. Uh, two in a red, sacrifice an artifact. Each other player sacrifices an artifact. Or two in a green and sacrifice an enchantment. Wait. Each other player sacrifices an enchantment. Oh, I was going to guess what, what that last effect did. Oh, it's a hard guess. I'll <laughs> tell you what. No, you sack an enchantment. Each other player sacks an enchantment. So it's, uh, it's, it's good uh, self-deprecating removal. Yeah, this card, I actually really like this card. I think it's sweet. It has such a an interesting way to force your opponents to sacrifice, right? Like creatures is kind of like a, a thing that we see a lot, especially in black. And then forcing them to sacrifice artifacts, kind of a rare thing. Forcing them to sacrifice enchantments. Like that's not a usual way to go about uh, enchantment removal. Yeah. So if you have ways to synergize and to pull these artifacts, enchantments, creatures back from the graveyard, this becomes a very strong creature. The last one on our list, we've got Sekuar Deathkeeper. 
So it's two black, red, green for a legendary creature orc shaman. He's a 4-3. And whenever another token creature, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, create a 3-1 black and red graveborn creature with haste. So this synergizes well with both of the other commanders. It's a good card on its own. Like this is an aristocrat style commander that really benefits from the aristocrats mentality of just I like these creatures, they have value, I'm gonna sacrifice them to get more value, and then I'm gonna get other creatures that I can then sacrifice for more value. They have this sort of alongside the deck to be maybe a commander, but I think he's just really good as Prash's sidekick. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this one, I would like to see this as a commander on its own. There's only about 400 decks around him, but I think that he'd be fun to build around. All right, so what does this deck want to do? I mean, Prosh actually just shows you exactly what this deck wants. Generate (laughs) shitloads of tokens, sacrifice sacrifice creatures, get value. Prosh on his own is a win condition in this deck. Yeah. Whereas some of the other decks, we don't really see where that creature kind of like presents such an obvious win con. Prosh wants to just, I mean, one, he's a dragon that has evasion, so he's going to be able to attack. And in this amazing format that we play called Commander, we have this thing called Commander Damage. So if Prosh is your commander, if you're able to get that total up to 21, you're, just, you're going to knock people out. And Prosh can do it pretty easily. Yeah, I, I think that's why you're going to find so many Commander decks with Prosh is not just because he's a value creature, but he's also he has his own win condition. He's very, very powerful alone and as the leader of a deck. Yeah, realistically with Prosh, because he's a 5-5 that creates six tokens when you cast him the first time, you're putting out someone to 11 commander damage. You only need to attack twice with Frosh in order to kill somebody. Yeah. So let's get down to the basics of this deck. In order to build it on your own, if you're built from scratch, it costs about 90, 90 US. Which is understandable because yeah. this is absolutely more efficient than the deck before. Yeah. Uh, converted mana costs about 3.62. It's a little higher than what I personally like, but it's significantly lower than that 4.19 from that last deck. Yeah. Like, this is definitely manageable. 39 lands. It's a little high, I think, but it's definitely fine. Uh, there's about four to five ramp cards. And about the same for card draw. We've got three or four there. Uh, 11 removal spells. We'll always see these high amount of removal in these pre-cons. They just think that that's the best way to, to combat <laughs> certain things. Uh there's about two to four board wipes, so it's within the range of acceptable. I like about three to five in the decks. Uh, and then we've got these Prosh theme cards. There's 29 in the deck, so it's almost good. Like, it's almost where I want it. I want about 30, 35, and it's just right underneath. Uh, we've got 10 token generators. We've got 12 sack outlets. That's including the Shad- Shadow Gang Bros. Uh, and then we have 10 sacrifice and dying matters. Uh, and some of these kind of are within themselves. There's some overlap between the themes, which is good, right? These yeah, cards we like that. that synergize well with each that's themselves really what and each you other. Want. Yeah, that's yeah. that's just great. Now, um, I would say uh, where you said the board wipes are a little bit low, I think that tends to be the case in a lot of token decks. Yeah, I think that's... Just because you're trying to get a lot of value from your token decks, so board wipes tend to be slightly weaker than just targeted removal. Of course, that's not always the case, we know, but that's probably where you're going to see those board wipes being more acceptable at a lower total. For sure. Now, we've got some notable cards here. First up, we've got... Endrixar, Master Breeder. I'm never not going to be able to see that. Every time I see this card. I know. If you check out the artwork, we've definitely got the mad scientist from Nightmare Before Christmas. He's just dead on the bottom of the the painting there. Uh, So it's four and a black for a 2-2 legendary creature human wizard. Whenever you cast a creature spell, put X 1-1 black thrall creature tokens onto the battlefield, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. And when you control seven or more thralls, sacrifice Endrixar, Master Breeder. So I love this sort of card where on its own, it's okay. Actually, on its own, it's kind of bad. It's a five-minute 2-2. Yeah. But 
the fact that anytime you cast a creature, you're going to get other creatures. You're going to get more value off of it. And in this deck where you're trying to sacrifice creatures to get value, you just immediately, every time you cast a spell, generate the tokens, sacrifice the tokens, cast another creature, rinse and repeat. Like, you'll never have seven or more thrills on the battlefield, I think, with, with this card. Unless you really just monumentally mess up. You don't have a sack outlet, but you need to actually, like, create a board state. Like, this card's just going to be good. So the next one we have is Quatso. Honored Physician. Uh, one green green for a 1-2 legendary creature human. Has the ability tap, put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. Activate this ability only during your turn before attackers are declared. That's a solid card. It's weird. I don't like it. Really? Yeah, just put it in my hand. Why am I putting on, like, you're telling me that next turn I know what I'm going to draw. My opponents know what I'm going to draw. And I don't get to dig further in my deck. Can I just get Eternal Witness? True, true. <laughs> All right, moving on. Yep. We've got Fecundity. This card, again, like, I, I love this deck. I think this deck is Sounds awesome. like a dirty name for me. <laughs> Fecundity. Uh, like so it's two and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature dies, that creature's controller may draw a card. Oh, yeah, we were playing a token deck? I like this card. When you're playing a token deck where you want to sacrifice stuff? Right. Hey, Prosh, I love you, man. Let's just, six tokens. I'm going to sacrifice them. I'm going to draw six. Yeah. <laughs> like, six mana spell that gives you six cards in green. I'll take that. Give me, give me, give me. Any day. Another one we've got here is Inferno Titan. A he classic. shows up quite a bit. Yep. Uh, it's four red red for a 6-6 six, six creature giant. So it's a 6-6 six, six for six. And it's uh, he also says, tap a red, Inferno Titan gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. So classic fire breathing. We usually see that on dragons, but he's got more. He also says, whenever Inferno Titan enters the battlefield or attacks, it deals three damage divided as you choose among one, two, or three targets. I like it. With these tap one, you can do that multiple times in a turn. Absolutely. So if you got the mana, you can pump him, you know, to a nine six, ten six, and really throw some shit around. Yeah, you definitely can throw the damage around, plus the the extra damage from when he attacks. Like it's just a solid card. Uh, the next one we have is Night Soil. So it's green green for an enchantment. It has pay one, exile two creature cards from a single graveyard, create a one one green Sapperling creature token. So we've got Grave Hate, we've got token generation. I'm I'm on board. Yeah, for only one mana? Are you kidding me? Love this card. Like, it's a little harder to cast in some decks with the green, green. But I think that any deck that wants this sort of effect is going to take this and any additional effect that's going to be like that. Yeah. I mean, the only the only real downside I see is that it does say a single graveyard. So you do have to make sure you're finding graveyards that have at least two creatures, which sometimes can be difficult depending on how early you get this card. But generally, if you are playing a card like this, you have some sort of problem or some sort of consistency among your playgroup that... You're going to see a lot of creatures. You're going to see a lot of graveyard interaction creatures. And so you're going to be able to have this effect. Next up, we've got Goblin Sharpshooter. He's two and a red for a 1-1 one, one uh, creature goblin. It says Goblin Sharpshooter doesn't untap during your untap step. Seems bad. Whenever a creature dies, untap Goblin Sharpshooter. Seems significantly better. Much better. Also, you can tap Goblin Sharpshooter deals one damage to target creature or player. That's even better. So, honestly, I really like this card. This card is very similar to what Blood Artist is. It's a, a Blood Artist light, is what I like to call them. Uh, <laughs> Half the calories. <laughs> uh, it has really cool synergy, especially if you have uh, ways to untap it. Then you just have, like, a solid pinger on you. Uh, but I think that this deck really, really needs cards like this to just go off because you can stack the triggers on it. So you can stack, like, six things, and for each one of those, you just get a ping off of so it's just, it's going to just start machine gunning things down. Makes sense. Next up, we've got Viscera Seer. One of my favorite sack outlets. First of all, the name is incredible. 
It's only one black for a 1-1 creature vampire wizard. And it says sacrifice a creature and scry one. So two of my favorite tribes. Vampires and wizards. Scrying is very, very strong, especially if you're able to scry in multiples, which this deck is obviously going to be able to do. What's the new one that they have? Instead of scry, it's... Surveil. God, if this was surveil. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, if we could put a surveil on this, it would be Ooh, just the best oh goddamn man, black card of all time. Just thinking, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, oh, but scry so is still good. powerful. We still enjoy scry. Um, and the fact that it's a sacrifice, I mean, it's a sack outlight in its own right. It's a one mana free sacrifice outlight yeah. that also just allows you to mess with the top of your library. All right. We've also got all, you know, Swiftfoot Boots, Soul Ring, Command Tower, and Opal Palace, all the standards. It does have the Jund Panorama, so you're going to get a mountain, swamp, or forest. Yep. Uh, then we have our, again, we've got five or six here, just our most interesting cards for this deck. We've got Soccer Tribe Elder, Scuba Steve. So Scuba Steve, in case you, uh, you know, in case we haven't read him in a while, Sakura Tribe Elder reads, one and a green for a 1-1 creature, Snake Shaman. Uh, it says, sacrifice Sakura Tribe Elder, search your library for a basic land card, put that land card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So instant speed, self-sac, can use to, as to block and then sacrifice it, and then you just fetch, go get yourself a basic. You get a land. Yep. Like, you're getting ramp off of two mana and a creature out of it. Like, this card is very good. Up next, we've got the Tempt with Vengeance, which is another one of the Tempt cards. It's X and a red. It says, put X 1-1 red elemental creature tokens with haste onto the battlefield. Each opponent may put X 1-1 red elemental creature tokens with haste onto the battlefield. For each player who does, put X 1-1 red elemental creature tokens with haste onto the battlefield. So, this card is sweet. You're just saying, hey, I'm making a ton of tokens. You either make them so that you can try and block, in which case I'm making more. Or you can just say, okay, you spend all your mana to do this. We'll let you go with it. But then in this deck, you have a bunch of tokens, which means you have right. a bunch of sack opportunities. Well, and they're, yeah, and they're they tokens with haste. haste. That's really where it's kind of sketchy. I'm going to punch you in the face before I sacrifice them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a good a way good to card. do that would be Goblin Bombardment. Goblin Bombardment. I, again, this is one of those cards that if it's, if you have an Aristocrats deck and it has red, which most of them do, you're playing this card. Yep. It's one in red for enchantment. Sacrifice a creature. Goblin Bombardment deals one damage to target creature or player. Now, we play with Corey quite frequently, and he's got this uh, Cranko deck. Goblin Bombardment, it, it seems pretty good, but when you play him carefully, it's really good. Yeah. Because so, just like we said with the Tempt, you pull out, let's just say, eight. That, that's reasonable. They've got haste. You throw them in someone's face, you deal eight damage. You sack them, you deal eight damage, and maybe Prosh is out. You know what I mean? There's all this value that you can stack together. Yeah, and it has, again, been errata to do damage to any target. So Planeswalkers are kind of pesky in this format. They're kind of hard to deal with sometimes. This is a really good way just to say, hey, I just made a ton of tokens. Let me just machine gun that thing down and get rid of it. Yeah. All right. Next one we have is one of my favorite lands of all time just because it's so goofy. We've got Care Keep. So Care Keep is a legendary land. Tap to one, add one generic to your mana pool. Pay one in a red and tap it. Create an 0-1 red kobold creature token named Kobolds of Care Keep. So these are the same tokens that Prosh creates. And it's just a, a goofy land that just generates tokens. So if you have extra mana off of your turn, you know, just need an extra blocker, just, just at instant speed. Like this, this card is actually really good. Yeah. Another one we've got on here is Ophiomancer. 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 Okay. Now, she is a creature human shaman. She's a 2-2. At the beginning of each upkeep, if you control no snakes, put a 1-1 black snake creature token with death touch onto the battlefield. Each upkeep. Right. So, your opponents, 
yours, your other opponent, your third opponent, sacrifice them, get value, make another one, rinse and repeat. Like, you just you just get to do it four times over each each round. Such an insane defensive card, and that nobody wants to attack the person who just always is going to have a snake for free. No yeah, one true. wants to deal with that, like the potential of losing whatever card they have. So defensively, it's great for three mana, and you get that. Like you're going to have three mana, you're going to get three power. That's that's fine, whatever. But the fact that you can sacrifice these tokens during each player's turn in order to to do something, whether it's generate mana or to, I don't know, you say Goblin of Wyvern, ping somebody down. Ping like someone, it's, yep. This card's great. And it's great when something so cheap can become enough of a nuisance that someone might actually waste their uh, removal on it. Oh, you I know what I mean? Pop this thing as soon as I could. Yeah. Like, I'm and not so, going to let somebody get value off this. I know what this card does. Right. And so then you have something that you only have to spend three mana on. You can force people's removal with something like that. And then, boom, guess what? Prosh out. All right. Another one we've got on the list, Primal Vigor. So this card is pretty expensive on its own now. Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> let me read it and you'll see why. If one or more tokens would be created, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed on a creature, twice that many plus one plus one counters are placed on that creature instead. So fits a few slots, I would think. <laughs> there's one downside of this card. It's symmetrical. Works on your opponents. True. Works on their creatures. Well, we should also say it's four and a green, so it's five mana for an enchantment, which for its effect is not that bad. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> like it's a it's almost a group hug doubling season. Yeah. Like yeah. I, it's not gonna benefit on planeswalkers, which is why doubling season is just that extra level of insanity, but this card is just value. It's so good. So with that being said, now we got to talk about the pros and cons. What they do well? Well, they did really well in this deck, keeping on thing. They have such a strong focus on Prosh, and the other commanders really synergize with Prosh. So even if they kind of delineated away from Prosh, it would still work with them. Right. Uh, they've got lots of sack outlets, token generation, ways to profit off of those tokens dying, just creatures dying in general. Uh, it has a very clear way to win. Even yeah. without Prosh, you have this aristocrat style attrition kind of deck. But with Prosh, it's just like, hey, here. You know exactly what to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it has really flexible removal, which I really like. Uh, and surprisingly, it's got a little bit of grave hate in there, uh, which is flexible and it goes with the game plan, right? It's not just like grave hate just to have grave hate. It's grave hate that generates tokens or whatever else that helps you with your game plan. Yeah. Now, it is lacking a little bit of things, especially again, because it's got green. Not enough ramp, and not the best ramp. Even it if it have. didn't have green, it was still lacking ramp. Yeah, but and that's the thing. I think I think it's just so weird that <laughs> you have access to the best color for ramp, but of course it needs more ramp. Most most precons do. Uh, the deck really benefits from having Prosh cast yeah, sure. for more than his more than his regular mana cost. So yeah, definitely is a strong focus on Prosh, and it wants you to cast him for a high mana cost. But even if you cast him for his base value. Right, you're gonna be able to attack somebody on your next turn for eleven commander yeah. damage. Like that's it's nothing to scoff at, it's nothing just to take lightly. There's a reason why this deck is I mean, I don't know if it's tier one anymore, but it's definitely up there. I don't think it is. But like it's card like if it's you can definitely out or, tier one point five though. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> uh like most most of the decks it needs more card draw. Absolutely. Uh again, it does have a little too much removal just because that's the way these precons operate. Um but I can say this deck is fun to play. I love this style of deck. Aristocrats is my favorite deck strategy, I think. I think it's just such a, a cool way to to play the game of magic of just, I'm going to just generate a bunch of tokens, which I love token generation. I love manipulating what you do with tokens. Uh, but I don't actually necessarily want to attack you with it. 
So we can improve it, of course, by adding ramp and card draw. Like fecundity is sweet, but we're also in black. Black has very good card draw. Yeah. Uh, I would like to see better for, and free. I've got free in quotes. What I mean by that, of course, is I don't want to have to pay man. I don't want to tap it. I just want to be able to sacrifice the creature, get value. Um, Ashnod's Altar, insane in this deck, especially yep. with Prosh, right? You're able to sacrifice all of your kobolds to get extra mana to pay for Prosh the next time you cast him. Yep. Right? Like you can make him bigger. You can sacrifice Prosh to get some that mana because using, and again, if you have a haste enabler on this, you can actually sack Prosh and all of tokens, and then you just need three colored mana. You need your Jun mana, and then you can cast them again and generate more tokens and more and more and more, and you can kind of spiral out of control as long Going as you generate. sort of an infinite, yeah. yeah. Another thing you could be doing in this deck is that you could actually reduce the number of sack outs. I think there's about 10 or 11 in this deck, uh, and for me, when I see a deck like this, you only need about five to seven, I found, sack outlets to actually get one, and as long as they're all free, you'll be able to, to use them correctly. Yeah. Uh, and just put in other cards that are more relevant, like put in Blood Artists or some other effect similar yeah. to that, like things that care about creatures dying because that's really what this deck wants. So I put a little side note in here is that Blood Artist was printed in May 2012. So I know that during the time, uh, Commanders... The, that was his first printing? Yeah. So Really? So the people who were making Commander weren't necessarily in talks with everyone else at Wizards, but there has to be some discussion, right? And so I think that this deck could have been printed with a Blood Artist, even though it was printed, you know, a year later or so. I think that during the time the Blood Artist was being developed oh, a year and this deck was being developed, they would have oh, had some overlap. Commander. Yeah, the Commander was printed later. Also, you can take out the cards that are too situational or the removal that's too situational uh, or just outright bad for better cards. Yeah, obviously take out the curses. Yeah, I was going to say. And of course, last but not least, actually last and least are the curses. And the least, yeah. The absolute, the worst. Um Another thing I would say about the sack outlets, when you're talking about adding card draw and adding ramp that's sort of going to filter your deck, it becomes even easier for you to get to those sack outlets. And so then then seeing 10 or 11 or 12 of them becomes even more redundant because yeah. you're going to pull them more often. So if you do all of these things together, then yeah, you could definitely pull out some of those sack yeah. outlets. Realistically, in a deck, you need to find one. Yeah, right? I mean, you and need to get to one and that's what you really need. And to have them, especially... Things like Ashnod's Altar, uh, Abyss here, the Carrion, or whatever it is. Like, these ones that cost you know, one, two, and three mana are really where you want to be in this deck. Anything more than that is going to be where you want, like, more powerful creatures that generate tokens and that kind of synergize uh, better with the deck than just simply sacrificing creatures. Like, that's where you want to have those sack outlets just in case you do need that emergency off switch for whatever you're doing just so that way you're not that threat or you need to be able to just gain some incidental value before something else happens. Yeah. The last part about the sack outlets that I just want to say is that Prosh himself is a sack outlet. So Which is a guaranteed need, sack outlet. Yeah. You, so you don't always need to have just a massive amount. All right. So those are the decks we're going to be talking about today for this episode. Uh, some absolute milestones set by Prosh and Alorum, but also kind of a bummer of a deck for that beast deck. Yeah. The power level of some cards in the deck, like Wrath of God, I think probably outweighed in their mind the the negatives. And, you know, like if you do make a super synergistic deck that has a bunch of fatties that are able to just go off super quick, that's kind of a, a scary threat. But making it so that you don't have ramp or card draw or anything to get into those fatties, I think it's just a massive error. Yeah, I mean, as you're going to see, in if you go check out our EDH deck building guide, we always cover ramp and card draw absolutely first and i really do think no matter what color you're in no matter what your commander is 
that should be the first thing you focus on. Because if you can wrap those things up and create a good base, then anything else you do will be exponentially better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, This was the first three from 2013. And we'll cover the next two. So the next two are evasive maneuvers. And uh, what do we? Oh, mine sees. So we'll we'll have those on the next episode here. Yeah. So those are the Bant and Grix's one. So yeah, I think this is a good uh, stopping point for our wrap up of the part one of the Commander 2013 pre-constructed decks. Hopefully, you guys are starting to get a good idea of where Watsy has been steering Commander as a product. Uh, if you guys have tried any of these beers, shoot us a pic on Twitter. Leave us a comment in the video. I think we're starting to really find our audience that appreciates magic and beers as much as we do so we love all the feedback we are at uud podcast on twitter and facebook and we are untapped upkeep drink on youtube and instagram guys we have the best job in the world yeah we get to sit around talking about magic we'll have good beers there's not really much else that can beat that but as always if you're drinking we want you to be responsible don't drink and drive don't drink if you're underage we really do want you to be safe out there absolutely and as we always say guys this game is all about enjoyment so go get some good games in find some tasty brews and have fun but not too much Bye.